In late April 2021, an audio recording was uncovered shortly after three podcasters were reported missing, the circumstances of which still remain a mystery. Here, for the first time, is the full episode that was recovered immediately before their unexplained disappearance. Welcome to this week's special episode of Creaky Chair Film Podcast, the show where we discuss all things film, blockbusters and obscurities, conspiracy thrillers to stoner comedies, from all the president's men to Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. My name is Michael Brooks, I'm here with my co-hosts Bill King and Sam Oliver. Hello. Or are you? Ooh. (laughs) Spooky. You are. Well, I'm here. Hello. (laughs) Hi. This week, it's our monthly special episode. We're going to be talking all about found footage films. We're going to be exploring the rise of this subgenre, our views on what some of the main staples are, some of our top personal picks, uh, and also we'll be talking about the decline of the genre and what we think its its merits are overall. Before we get into talking about the origin story of, of the found footage genre, let's go right back to the basics then. Shall we, shall we talk about what we mean by uh, a found footage film? Do we want to let's explain what the main characteristics are or some of the generic tropes are? Well, I suppose like one of the most generic tropes that I associate with any found footage film is an almost kind of nauseating shaky cam footage. I feel like it's you have to have at least one moment where you feel a little bit genuinely travel sick because the camera is moving so frequently, especially in any scenes where a character runs to investigate a scene or is running away in terror. Needs needs to have good shaky cam. Yeah, so it tends to be, doesn't it? People film something and X amount of time later on, uh, that footage is found. That's basically that. And it tends to be, it's mainly horror. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, it's definitely horror, and it's it's wrapped up in sort of the it, well, in the early days, it was wrapped up in the publicity of oh, this is this is real, um, and it is presented in that way. It's presented as you know, the these aren't actors; these are actual people, and we're presenting this unedited, and uh, and this is what went down. Yeah, and that verite kind of acting, very naturalistic dialogue, that's also kind of a main staple, isn't it? They often relies on using amateur, unknown actors. Absolutely. There's the, that, that kind of adds to the pseudo true, true crime feel to it where you kind of don't recognize these people. So you're trying, they're trying to lull the audience into that expectation of these people are the genuine people that experienced whatever we're about to see. And I don't know, you never know how much of this is true when it comes out about the making of these things, but apparently, you know, the directors would not prepare these actors for certain things and set up certain stunts and effects and other actors bringing in to scare them. So it's like, oh, these were genuine reactions. Personally, I don't know if I believe all of that, but we'll we'll get into that later. I remember reading a thing a while ago, and I can't remember which found footage film it was, but there was one where they really were talking up the idea that there was no script. There was just these vague ideas of, in this scene... X character will go from this point to this point and you will discuss anything. And they really were talking up that idea of like, even though it isn't real, we are trying to get it as real as possible to give these real reactions to things. So again, you can't really know how much of that is true, but a lot of them do have that sense of 
especially because a lot of it does have quite annoying dialogue that you recognize from hanging out with your mates sort of thing. So it is true in that sense, I guess. Mm. I mean, I remember going a few years ago to and taking part in one of those things that was like a kind of, you know, there's like live experience role play type things where it was like a zombie invasion you had to get into costume and have fake guns and things like that and you're running around in the dark and i got really into it and it did actually you know start to actually play on your nerves quite a bit and i remember thinking this must be what it's like filming a, a found footage film so i guess there is a sense of sometimes you're seeing genuine genuine fear genuine reactions i i think so um personally i think it's difficult to do an entire film based on that but we do know from film history there is there is a precedent for it in in typical horrors you know the famous thing um the alien bursting out of the chest not all the actors were prepared for exactly how that was going to go down we know kubrick liked to put the scaries on people um i i personally find it hard to believe there's no script or or setup especially when it involves stunts and you know for these for, for the good ones that come out where there's an actually a nice narrative and the film hangs together really well. I, I think a lot of planning goes into that or they're very, very lucky. I think what you're talking about there, Mike, a zombie experience, even though you're in it, yeah, and it's really exciting. I think that's very difficult to translate to a film because I think it'd be utter chaos. You know, imagine putting us three in a haunted house. Yeah, we'd find it very scary if we spent the night there, but if we had to come out with the footage, yeah. And, and that's why I find particularly egregious some of the claims when they put, this is unedited. Well, it blatantly is because, you know, there's no shots of them just having a poo or um <laughs> what know, a shame I, I don't i did what rewatch blair witch and there's there's not yeah there isn't a shot of them just just sleeping for eight hours at any point so yeah it is carefully constructed but yeah i do think for specific scenes maybe there was a bit of improvisation and uh and yeah just fri- real fright are you saying bill that you're interested in basically like uh Bellatar-esque like 12 hour long found footage film where there is just the camera's still rolling while they're just there being like oh this these woods are quite quite creepy aren't they and let's just not say anything for the next hour while we build a campfire something like that where did you put the sausages <laughs> yeah just really put you in the misery of camping i remember a camping trip we went on and let's just let's just oh yeah 12 hours of misery, Michael. Yes, well. Go back to what you're saying about the scare thing. Because a lot of the classics, like when you think of found footage, a lot of it is like scary things happening in woods. And I feel like it's really easy to scare someone in a woods at nighttime. So I feel like there definitely is moments. Because I feel like even if you, even if it's totally scripted and you know exactly what you're doing, I feel like if I was alone in the woods at night, you'd be terrified of anything. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that, definitely. Um also, one little trope that I've kind of noticed when re-watching some fan footage films in preparation for this is that at some point, often, at, normally at a point of kind of high stress or tension, someone will always angrily insist that they stop filming. And they never do, do they? They always somehow manage to keep filming. They, they Someone yeah. will threateningly push the camera a hand into the screen but it never, they never follow through and just like smash the camera or like. Whereas the reality we know from Drunken Nights Out, um, a lot of <laughs> attempted videos just don't work. So yeah, that's that's where the, uh, the the suspension of disbelief has to come in. It is really funny, having watched quite a few um, this week, it is funny noticing that moment because they all have that moment where someone's like, dude, why are you still filming? And it's really funny each time kind of being like, oh, well, here's your excuse for this. Or like, oh, here's, or you're going to just ignore the kind of the reality of it and just keep filming anyway it's really funny seeing how they deal with that moment of like why are we still filming here and i feel like for me that moment is almost like the make or break for found footage films in terms of my like bill said suspension of disbelief because if i find myself going well 
you wouldn't be filming this. I'm instantly then taken out of what else is going to happen. And I think when they managed to deal with that, dude, why are you still filming question? Well, that's when I'm like, okay, I'm in. I think that's a larger point um, to do with horrors and, and thrillers is the minute you start thinking of the making of a film, it takes you out of that moment. And a horror or a thriller really needs you in that moment to, to be effective. And I think that's why I found footage films are playing a very risky game because they're involving the making of the film in the film. And as you say, if if uh, if for a second you just start to, to disbelieve that, you've kind of lost. So I do think that, yeah, I do think that's a good point. You can the whole film can kind of get ruined at that point. Yeah, and we're going to be talking about some of the real stinkers as well that we've watched uh, that have not managed to uh, <laughs> not managed to succeed as well. Okay, so let's we've established what found footage films are. Let's do a little bit of uh, the background and uh, yeah, some of the history. Uh, so a couple of episodes ago, episode seventeen, I talked about a film called The McPherson Tape, which is from 1989. This is a, an obscure shoestring budget alien abduction film shot on a really grainy, shaky handycam. Uh, we're not going to linger too long on this film uh, because uh, we already discussed it a couple of episodes ago, and also it's not very good. But it is, it's a, a real curiosity in terms of being the sort of aesthetic and stylistic origins of the found footage a subgenre. And yeah, as, as I said in, in episode 17, its kind of cult reputation has been burnished by the fact that it was lost itself. The master tape was presumed destroyed in a warehouse fire, and it was found several years later being presented uh, as, as genuine uh, at the International UFO Congress. So it was kind of being presented as this authentic footage from origins unknown, uh, which if you if you do watch the film, you'll realise is really quite remarkable. But uh, then given that people believe in QAnon and all sorts of stuff, uh, you know, who, who are we to judge? As well, there was, there's also, I mean, I've not seen this, but another sort of touchstone in terms of origins is, is a, a documentary called Ghostwatch, which was uh, broadcast, a pseudo-documentary presented as a live TV broadcast, which was on the uh, on the BBC in 1992. This created an infamously quite strong reaction from an audience who by and large thought it was genuine, and it was never broadcast again. It was never repeated until very recently, I think. Um, and of course, that sort of harks back to kind of Orson Welles' radio adaptation of War of the Worlds in 1938, which allegedly caused panic among the audience who believed it to be an actual broadcast reporting on an alien landing. So there is a kind of a background here in terms of fake presentations of, of actual events causing some hysteria. I think the the godfather of found footage, though, is, of course, the notorious 1980 Italian exploitation film Cannibal Holocaust, uh, directed by Ruggiero Diodato. Lay's claims possibly being the most controversial film ever made. But just give you a brief uh, overview of the premise. Uh, so an anthropologist leads a rescue team into the Amazon rainforest to find a crew of filmmakers who have disappeared. That, that anthropologist then returns to America with the cans of footage that they shot and proceeds to try and convince the TV station not to air it due to the horrific nature both of what the crew did on making contact with the native tribes uh, and but also what happened to them. I watched it again recently. I was struck by just how brutal and how shocking it is as well as how grimly effective it is. I have a very weird memory about the very first time I watched Cannibal Holocaust for some reason was on Boxing Day, um, which was just a very odd choice for myself um, at that time of year. Yeah, presumably but, went very kind of full on Christmas food. <laughs> yeah, just really like, like, oh yes, I know, I'll have a nice warming bowl of Cannibal Holocaust just to get myself going. But yeah, I remember it being, I think because it's so... I think the, the the element of like there being a distance in terms of time from me watching it, it almost has this kind of like snuff film quality to it, which 
whilst doesn't make it believable necessarily, but I think it makes it more believable than a lot of found footage films that like are out there. Um, I think it does kind of that grainy kind of like, oh, this is so far removed from where I'm living now, makes it a little bit more believable kind of in a weird way. And also important to say, Sam, uh, just as a sort of background context, so af- after its Italian premiere, it was it was seized. Diodato was arrested on obscenity charges and, it, and he was later then charges of murder were added because people did believe it was a snuff movie. Um, and the film was then subsequently banned in, in multiple countries. So in terms of like what you want to achieve with a found footage film, that's pretty much as successful as you're going to get, isn't it? That's one hell of a publicity stunt that to, to nearly land yourself in prison. <laughs> but there is like there's there's genuine animal torture and stuff in it in there, isn't there? There is actual kind of obviously whilst there isn't actual factual murder of human beings, there is a lot of like cruelty to animals and so forth. So there is almost that kind of I think purposefully or not, it totally blurs that divide because there's some stuff that you're like well, this is genuinely happening and I'm genuinely seeing this. So I can imagine seeing that kind of out of context back in the day, you would go like, well, that's obviously real. So why is this also not real in that sense? You know? Yeah, for me, I think I kind of missed the boat on the the, the publicity stunt and the urban, the urban legend sort of time to watch it. And yeah, by the time I, I did, I just thought, yeah, it's, it's, it's effective in that it's it's quite well crafted um, in that way, um, and yeah, the cruelty to animal stuff's a bit horrific. Um, didn't really enjoy that sort of stuff. Once I knew that was real as well, I can totally see that as being a, a very fair and legitimate response. I mean, I, I I would slightly rate it a lot a lot higher than that. I think. I mean, I mean, rewatched it re- again recently. I I thought it was quite astonishing really i mean i think it's very much a film of first half so the first half of the anthropologist traveling into the rainforest and then encountering the cannibalistic tribes i felt that that's quite plodding uh, and more sort of conventionally exploitative and like you say there's a lot of the kind of it's filmed in the same way as the kind of mondo cane these kind of controversial documentaries where it's like real kind of authentic portrayals of our violence towards animals the second half i thought was where it's mostly the found footage i found really quite powerful and really deeply disturbing i, I mean some of those Im- images that are used like the infamous image of the girl impaled on the spike is just really does stay with you and i mean and i did think it was quite beneath the kind of surface it's it is quite a simple but effective commentary on you know american imperialism and interventionism and you know who are the real savages i thought it was quite effective in that way and to be ahead of the curve in terms of its style and aesthetic in terms of the found footage genre i I think it holds up also i think cannibal holocaust probably for me earns the award of like the most unexpectedly great soundtrack it's a genuinely great great soundtrack it's really it's it's i can't even really think how to describe it but it's the kind of thing where you'd play the music and be like this is from a film called cannibal holocaust and someone would be like is that sorry i thought i saw something behind you there bill no never mind um but like yeah that was unusual it's something banging sorry don't worry sorry yeah that would be fine but yeah like the um what was i saying oh yeah the the soundtrack i remember like playing it for uh, my girlfriend and going like guess what genre of film this is from and obviously guests, you know, different genres and so forth. And I was like, this is from a film called Cannibal Holocaust. And it's just, it's a, genuinely, if you don't want to watch the film, I'd actually recommend listening to the soundtrack instead and imagining your own version of the film. <laughs> yeah, if you've got a weak stomach, just just pop that, for, pop that soundtrack. Yeah. 
have, have your own experience. <laughs> You're part of the conversation. Uh, so Cannibal Holocaust released in 1980 and obviously got wrapped up in the whole video nasties scare and, and movement and became sort of, a, like Bill said, a kind of urban legend. But it wasn't until the Blair Witch Project in 1999, which had revived and popularised uh, the found footage subgenre. So it, it was it was one of the most successful independent films of all time grossed nearly $250 million worldwide. Fair to say, helped by the masterful marketing campaign, which utilised before very many other films had done uh, the internet. In fact, they managed to create this buzz around whether the footage was genuine or not. They handed out missing person posters and flyers at film festivals. And yeah, so it's held up as being the first example of a film going viral before the real sort of conditions are in place for it to do so. I saw this a few years after it came out, and I was kind of well aware of its reputation, well aware that it obviously wasn't wasn't real. But I remember, I vividly remember it being really effective for me and finding it very scary. Uh, and it is it is reviled quite a lot these days by horror fans, isn't it? It's, you know, horror aficionados are very scornful of the Blair Witch Project. I'm, I'm not sure I can, I don't know what you guys think, maybe, maybe you'll also be, be scornful of it, but I can't personally get on board with that since my first experience of it was was so effective. It's one of those films for me, The Blair Witch, because I think when it first came out, so it was like 1999, I think I was a bit too young to kind of be, for that to be the sort of thing that I wanted to watch. Because I remember the vague like chatter in the background of it being like a super duper scary film and a really terrifying ordeal of like, is this real or is this fake sort of thing? And I think had I watched it in the height of that experience, I think I very much would have got totally wrapped up in that feeling. Like I think if that were to come out today with that same level of like buzz and that same level of uncertainty around it, I think I totally would get on board with it. But I think by the time I actually got around to watching it, because a lot of time had elapsed between that and obviously it had kind of become established as it's not real, but it's a kind of effective, scary horror film. I'd almost kind of like, steeled myself for the experience i think the ending of the blair witch project i remember genuinely really messing me up and it being a very kind of scary conclusion to the film but i think going into it kind of knowing and having all that kind of all that prep that all that mental prep done for myself meant that i kind of in effect ruined it for myself i think yeah i think i think that's a good point it's it's when when you watch these things especially when there's such a such a massive part of the culture aren't they in such a massive event um i think similar is true of like titanic for example <laughs> like you watched it that year it came out it was awe-inspiring probably but now i think it's it's not um i i want to be fair to the blair witch because you know i, I don't want to be too scornful but i do think it's one of the most overrated pieces of shit i've ever watched um, bill please don't <laughs> mince your words you can say whatever you feel on here <laughs> i honestly Honestly, even going back to when I first watched, I I, I thought, oh, this will just be a good film. But it, yeah, it's got the jump scares, but it is just staring up at a teenager's snot, snotty nose and watching a tent shake. And like the scariest moments, like finding a, a disemboweled bird, and you think, oh, well, I've, I've seen this in Cannibal Holocaust, and it, this is it's not done as well. Honestly, I, d- I don't think it's very good. I just don't think it's very good. You talk about the ending, didn't didn't work for me at all. There's stuff, there's stuff there that's commendable. Like I like the way the titular Blair Witch is is mysterious, and and the first half's the most effective um, when they're when they're actually investigating the mystery and going into the woods and you know lose the map or something. But I don't know. I think I could attach a GoPro to my dog, send her off into the woods, 
and she'd come back with better footage, a better film. I, I just, I don't, it doesn't scare me. It's got jump scares, but it doesn't scare me. It doesn't stay with me. I can't really, I can't really talk about any scenes where I'm like, oh, that, that was really effective and the, the thorough line through this character is brilliant. For me, I think it's less the jump scares that were, that were scary. It was more the kind of the eerie setup and the simplicity of it because the horror, horror works best when it is simple and it's scaring you with, with, with simple visual things and simple ideas. And I think for me, yeah, the coming across those kind of weird, wicker man style stick arrangements and the kind of the piles of stones outside the tent i mean anyone who's been camping kind of will will kind of get a sense of that's yeah that's quite creepy you know then the the way that the noise is in the dark i think i think they work really well and i I do remember i think the the film's final shot is it's kind of gone down in sort of horror Mm. lore hasn't it you know it's it's such an iconic it's an iconic shot but again like you say it divides people I find that a lot, this is true of a lot of found footage films, I think, um, but horror films in general, I find that like when a film, specifically when a horror film becomes very popular and becomes kind of like, um, almost like breaks out of its own, because obviously a lot of horror fans will go and see any horror film, but then every now and again, a horror film comes along that everyone watches and people that don't usually watch horror films will watch. And I find that a lot of found footage films break that mold. I'm sure we'll talk about it a bit later, but paranormal activity i remember doing this like back when that was first released that it was one of those films that a lot of people were like oh my gosh this is the scariest thing i've ever seen and i found that that was being said by a lot of people that don't really watch a lot of horror films not to be sort of like oh i'm so clever because i watch lots of horror films not that at all but i think the blair witch paranormal activity and films of that ilk get way too overhyped because people go and see them and they get marketed as this kind of like the scariest experience ever. This is all real. You're going to crap your pants sort of thing. And I think then when you go and watch it as someone that kind of has a fondness for horror films already, you're going into it, watching it as a horror film, as opposed to someone going in, watching it kind of just as a scary film to experience without that kind of horror background, if that makes sense. I know it sounds quite pretentious and like, you don't get it, but you know what I mean? Like it, they get overhyped and you kind of build yourself up for something that's never, ever going to be able to be delivered. Yeah. Like I went in just thinking this is going to be an average film and I was disappointed um, by both of those that you've just talked about. I love the at the start of this, you said like, oh, as we all know, I'm a bit of a wuss. And yet you're like, this horror film's not scary. This horror film's not scary. This horror film's not scary. <laughs> no, no, this, this is right. So this is a point I need to make times I watched Blair Witch and Paranormal Activity, yes, it was scary, but it's like a roller coaster. It's like a roller coaster. You could just you could just peer by the side of me now and just go, bah! And I, I jump. I'm a real jumpy person. And I, I fully invest when I'm in the cinema or watching films. And I, I get into it and I get scared. But I think any film, to be effective, I need to be thinking about it afterwards. I can't. I can't do that with those films. It is just, it's just things just shockingly happening in the moment and then it's over. And, you know, you talk about the, the final, the final um, shots in the Blair Witch and yeah, I'd say that's probably one of the best things in the film, but it doesn't really stay with me in the way that many, many other horrors have. And I'm not just talking about the mm-hmm. greats now. There are certain other horrors, which I just think are just, are just better. I just don't think they're great films. I think they are just roller coasters that are, are fun in the moment and not even a good roller coaster. It's like, the ultimate <laughs> <laughs> okay so yeah as sam as you touched on blair witch project was pretty much the the one of those rare horror blockbusters uh, in much the same way that halloween was by no means the original slasher film but became the kind of the blockbuster that then paved the way for for scores of other films for the years to come some more derivative and 
some more inspired than others. Paranormal Activity, as you as you already mentioned, 2007 supernatural fan footage film uh, about a couple who believe their house is haunted, so set up a camera to document what's happening. Uh, so it's very much a camera fixed in one place, their bedroom. Really successful film. Somehow spawned five sequels, which I it's just incredible and then the sort of proliferation of films has kind of exploded since then so i think it peaked i was looking through uh, the list of films earlier on today it peaked around 2011 2012 with the likes of vhs troll hunter etc uh, and even george a ramiro got in on in on the act with the uh, diary of the dead which i can't remember whether i've seen but apparently it's not very it's not very good before we start talking about the, the merits of the film uh, for the film genre uh, and some of the really terrible films, let's let's pick out some of those that we think are exemplary or, or interesting examples of film footage films. So, as our as our resident skeptic, Bill, you can go last. Sam, do you want to let us know what what's a film footage film that's particularly grabbed or, or interested you? Yeah, we need to kind of like build everything up before Bill can knock down our tower of cards that we're creating here. Yeah, maybe maybe I'll see the. So light. I think like the found footage films that work best for me are kind of the ones that stray away from the typical kind of horror tropes. Because as Bill mentioned, a lot of the horror found footage films are like cheap roller coasters. They're jump scares. Sorry, what was that? that? Door just slammed, I think. Oh, guys, come on. Carry on. Um, sorry, um, what was I saying? Yep. So a lot of them, the, they jump there, the cheap roller coaster thrills of jump scares and kind of that sort of stuff, which can be very draining and very kind of like, like Paranormal Activity for me was a real disappointing experience because it was just jump scares and it didn't do anything for me. So the films that I kind of like in this genre are the ones that do something different. And a great example of that um, is the film Cloverfield, which is uh, basically a kaiju monster movie, but done through the lens of a found footage film. Um, So it's your basic classic big monster destroying stuff in New York, but it's all filmed on one camera as they're kind of trying to escape this big monster. And I think it's a very effective use of that of the genre and the tropes within it because it kind of avoids those cliches that you come to expect yes of course there's the shaky cam i remember seeing this in the cinema and i genuinely had to leave for a bit because i was hung over when i watched it and a lot of the shakiness genuinely i was like i might be sick at some point so it does the shaky cam and obviously there's a couple of annoying characters that are trying to make jokes while there's serious stuff happening which is annoying but generally speaking I think Cloverfield is a highly effective use of the genre because it really puts you in that position of the kind of unsung regular people of those big kaiju monster movies. If we look back to our episode about King Kong and Godzilla, a lot of those big fights, um, when you're watching those scenes, you get quick shots of people escaping and running away and you get shots of like buildings getting knocked down and you're like, oh, thousands of people died, I guess, whatever. But Cloverfield puts you directly in these people that are trying to survive this huge, massive monster attack, um, which I think is very effective. And I think it's a very kind of exciting use of the found footage thing as well. Um, another film that I'm just going to quickly touch on as well is two films. Sorry, and the other films I'm going to touch on is the double bill of Creep and Creep 2. Now, there's a lot of films out there called Creep. If you Google, there's, there's like one that's set on the underground. There's loads of films called Creep, but I specifically mean the ones directed by Patrick Bryce starring Mark Duplass, which both have the thing that, again, a lot of found footage films don't do, but this one does really well, which is give you a reason as to why they're filming. 
in the first creep, um, basically this guy that's look a jobbing film, a jobbing cinematographer. He ad- answers a, a, an ad that says you'll get a thousand dollars for the day, and all I want you to do is to film me and have a day experiencing things with me. So he takes the job, goes to this cabin, and is filming this character. And his job is to film for the whole day. So straight away you're like, cool, you're going to keep filming because you're there to film. I accept that, and I will move on now. I don't want to give too much away in case you haven't seen the film, but obviously, as you can expect, things take a bit of a dark turn. And things take a turn kind of towards the horror element, but also kind of towards the thriller element as well, which again means that it sort of avoids those slightly naff jump scares and tries to do something a little bit more interesting. Creep 2 is a very similar setup as well. Basically, somebody else answers the same ad sort of thing. And I think both of those films are incredibly effective. They're quite low budget. They're really small, almost like chamber pieces. The first one especially is just two characters. And the second one, again, is just two characters. Very similar to The Lighthouse for anyone that feels like we haven't mentioned that in a few episodes. But they're both highly effective found footage films that I feel work better for being in the genre. And I think Cloverfield, Creep and Creep 2 are all good examples of films where you go, oh, you're making the genre work for you as opposed to falling into the traps of the genre, if that makes sense. They're kind of going like, right, what can this, what are the benefits? What are the pros and cons of us filming in this way? And they make it work for them. I found Creep and Creep 2 incredibly effective films. Mark Duplass is a magnetic actor and he is such a kind of person to behold. And as the film goes on, you see so many oh again i'm really wary of giving stuff away because the films both work really well in not having much idea of what's going on so i'm not going to spoil it in case anyone hasn't seen it but mark duplass is great and he's a great actor to watch but those three films there creep creep 2 and cloverfield i think makes sense that they're found footage a lot of found footage films i feel kind of go oh well, right do you know what's going to be easy if we just set up a camera at the end of the bed and have some doors slam and some things fly off walls? It's an easy, cheap scare. But what I like in the found footage genre is the films where you go, okay, you're doing this for a reason. You've kind of, your film is best served being found footage. So those are the ones that I would champion in the found footage genre. Uh, I, I actually agree with you about the creep films. Um, I, I do think I do think it, it works for them. And, you know, it's, it's part of the story, um, which, which helps. Cloverfield, I think the first... The first sort of third of it, so the first the first section works really well um, when it's starting at the party and they're not sure what's going on and it makes sense for him to have the camcorder. But then I, it, it loses me because I just think, why would you be carrying this around? <laughs> also, the guy is terrible. Why can't you get a shot of this massive monster clearly when it's like ripping through New York? It's dreadful. He's just a dreadful filmmaker. But yeah, I just, I lost it of like, why is he still carrying this camera? And then I think it descends into ridiculousness towards the end when... I think the monster sort of picks him up and he's still filming or something, or he's looking, the monster comes real close to his face. I just think that's ridiculous. I, I, I think it'd be a better film uh, if, if it started off as found footage, but then naturally progressed into a more traditional um, way of filming. Um, and, and don't, you know, don't, don't present it as, oh, we found this tape because we know there wasn't a giant monster ripping through New York. You know, you've lost that now. We've got YouTube and Twitter. What have probably been mentioned? So, they could have they could have made a much better film of that one. Um, 
I, th- I think personally, as okay as it is, Cloverfield, bit of a gimmick. Bit of a gimmick was just pop found footage on a kaiju movie, really. Also, um, speaking to your point of it not like presenting itself as real, it's really silly that it starts off with like the Paramount logo. And it's like, you're watching a Paramount film. And then it cuts to like the Department of Defense. And you're like, oh, well... I'm quite clearly not watching a real thing then, am I? Because you've shown me the bloody Paramount logo. And yeah, I completely agree. The, I think it's TJ Miller who yes. does the, he's the camera and he is one of the most annoying human beings that's ever existed. And for me, I, I feel like I'm more willing to forgive the idea of like, why would you still be filming? But the thing that I can't forgive is his really irritating jokes and really irritating asides that completely oh, took me out of the moment. But Generally speaking, I I stand I stand by Cleverfield. Okay, so that's kind of, that's sort of three three films to throw into the throw into the pile of, of uh, commendable found footage films. So I'm going to add Wreck, which is a 2007 Spanish horror film, co-written and directed by Joame Belaguerro and Paco Plazo. Premise then is a there's a TV reporter and her cameraman are spending the night filming a Barcelona film crew uh, who are called to the scene of an apartment building where something strange has happened and they quickly find themselves under siege in this building as outside authorities seal it off. It turns out there's been some kind of deadly virus that has spread among the inhabitants of this building that turns people into hyper-aggressive cannibal zombie type things. So it's effectively, it's like 28 days later trapped in one building. And so the whole film is kind of through the lens of this cameraman who keeps the footage rolling as this really quite claustrophobic nightmare unfolds in what I think is a, a really taut and tightly executed film, it's it's only 78 minutes. It wastes no time with the setup. It just gets really straight into to the action. And, and I mean, this isn't pushing at the... This isn't trying to confound the conventions of the genre in the same way that the films that you spoke about perhaps were, Sam. This, there's plenty of the generic tropes here. There's the shaky footage. There's the use of jump scares, the use of the dark and, and night vision. But it does it so well, I thought, and it's you know, and it also builds in some really quite clever psychodrama as well. There's like there's the tension between the inhabitants. There's the the kind of the expressions of xenophobia and speculations about how the virus has spread, which you know we've we've seen in real life over the last last year or so. And there's also some quite interesting you know, sort of religious context in the in the final act. So yeah, I I think I think Wreck is a is a really good, really well worth your time, uh, and one of the best found footage films I think that's out there. But it did very well. Um, it got quite a lot of a lot of publicity. I think it was remade as a in the, as an American film called Quarantine, which I've not seen. Yeah, Quarantine's bin water. Don't watch that. Um, Rec, yeah, Rec works. Rec works for me. I'm, I think, yeah, really effective. Um, and and yeah, as you say, it's not not reinventing the wheel. It is a pretty standard horror. Um, but I think it, I think it's great. It's uh, yeah, it's really cool. And uh, also, I think the sequel, uh, Rec Two, is also pretty good as well. I believe it's um, the uh, not spoil the ending, but a SWAT team is sent in afterwards, and it's all based on the head cameras that they've got on. So it's a bit of a different vibe. It's sort of more like an aliens to aliens sort of thing, but it's also presented in that style. So yeah, really cool sequel. And yeah, the first one, it's it's fine. It's fine. I haven't seen Wreck apart from like when I first saw it back when it first came out. And I remember it being another one where 
I think, if I'm remembering rightly, I think my sister was like, I just saw Wreck and it's the scariest thing ever. So I watched it being like, I'm going to be terrified. And I don't remember being absolutely terrified. So I instantly just binned it off and was like, well, it's not super scary, so I'm done. So maybe I should have another watch of Wreck, but at this time I'll watch it and not be 14 and really like full of piss and vinegar. So, <laughs> Mitch, the one behind you. Ooh. What's that? Oh, oh it's, coat. it's coat. It's Ooh, your God. coat on the door. <laughs> It's just my coat. <laughs> it did look. It, honestly, just then it looked like um, there was a guy behind you. Oh, there's gonna be there's gonna be lots to edit out for this episode. <laughs> Phil, we we feel I feel like we've kind of you know we've made our case and you've you've conceded that there are some there is something to be gained in terms of film examples. Let, what about why don't you uh, share one of your favourite films? I'm not sure I've conceded, and I'm not sure because of this game because I'm not saying no. I've said these films are good, but I'm not saying like oh they're good because they're found footage. I'm still I'm still maintaining. I think it's a gimmick. Michael, you can be you can be creative in the edit though, can't you? You can make it sound like he's conceding. <laughs> I will do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, one I enjoyed um, is called The Conspiracy. Uh, came out in 2012, directed by Christopher McBride. Standard setup. Uh, two filmmakers are making a documentary about a crazy conspiracy theorist. Um, who lives in their town, do interviews with him, and then, of course, he disappears and they start getting drawn into an actual conspiracy. So its reason for being, reason d'etre, um, is, uh, is that they're making this documentary and they want to they wanna document everything because, you know, they see black cars starting to follow them and they're getting tied in and people are going missing and there's all sorts of shenanigans going on. I think the, the early scenes are really effective because it draws you into this this documentary feel. But then, yeah, it sadly does descend into cheap jump scares towards the end, which aren't particularly great and don't really fit within the genre of what it's trying to be. It just, just seemed a bit cloying. Having said that, it did save itself towards the end when you realise, oh, they're trying to set up that there's an entire conspiracy and they've infiltrated the actual production company, and you watch the end credits, and you think, "Oh, they're actually presenting you what you want to see." So it's it's quite cool that you know you don't have to believe it, but it's it's quite a cool thing of making the entire film a conspiracy theory. It's fine. Again, it it works. Um, I, I I just think it just falls into some of the tropes, but that is one. Yeah, I I particularly um, enjoyed, but. It's, is it a is it a found footage film because it is presented as a pseudo sort of documentary? Is that a different genre? Do we well, that uh, nicely leads us on. It's almost like we've planned this. There is a particular type of found footage film that does cross over into the into the pseudo documentary. So it's worth us talking a little bit about some of the main standout films of of this lineage, where you know where the film is framed as a documentary about or involving found footage. The first real example of this in a in a horror context is uh, the last broadcast, which was released in 1998. So the year before the Blair Witch, and you know some people consider it to have been overlooked by the success of that film. Sam, I believe you I believe you have some strong views on this film. Let me just quickly put on my uh, Bill King hat here. Um, last broadcast is. I totally appreciate it as a kind of like, it was one of the first films to do that sort of found footage thing, but it really doesn't work as a film and has potentially, I think, one of the worst endings of any horror film I've ever seen. I, I genuinely, do you know that feeling when you sort of go like, oh, great, thanks, I've wasted my time when the ending turned up? Um, 
the annoying thing that I found with last broadcast is that it sets up an idea that I was like, this could work. Because the whole idea is that it's like, there's these guys that run a really rubbish kind of cable access TV show called Fact or Fiction. And they go out to the woods to try and do a live episode. And a murder happens. And it's kind of like this mystery of solving this murder sort of thing. All of that feels like it could make for a very, really, really good film. But it doesn't work in the slightest for me. The mockumentary elements of it feel entirely unreal. Like there's no element of any of it that feels the, I didn't find any moment of suspension of disbelief. The kind of the narrator voice that over overplays the whole thing feels like somebody doing a voice. The like people that are being interviewed in like the talking heads all feel like they're being interviewed, pretending to be talking heads. None of it. There's no suspension of disbelief in it at all. And obviously super low budget and so forth. But it just didn't work for me at all. I can totally see why the last broadcast is overshadowed by the Blair Witch. I mean, I sent you guys the video, but there's a bit in it that's supposed to be like the big emotional crux of it, where they're like, oh, this proves our kind of main point. And it's this moment where the psychic character they have storms off and it's laughably bad. It's just laughably poor. And for them to kind of like hang their film on this moment that is genuinely, I thought was a joke the first time I watched it is just, I'm going to use the words piss poor. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I watched this for the first time recently as well. And I thought the ambition of it was commendable, as, you, as you've as you alluded to, Sam. I thought it employed some quite interesting techniques and narrative devices, but yeah, it felt really quite staid. And by this point, what, you know, over 20 years on, really quite quite dated. And the plot to it just, yeah, just didn't work at all, did it? It, it genuinely frustrated me. Like, I, I, I just had a moment of genuine, like, really ill-founded, because it's a film, who cares? But I had a real moment of being like, oh, I'm genuinely annoyed by that. That's so annoying (laughs) that I just, you know, I mean, sure, a film's given me a visceral reaction, which is what every film wants to do, isn't it? So has it done its job? Tune in next week and bloody find out. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the films I think then conversely does work really well is a film called Lake Mungo, which is a, a 2008 Australian psychological horror film written and directed by Joel Anderson and this utilizes mockumentary narrative with and talking heads footage with found footage elements uh, so it's about a family who are trying to come to terms with the strange drowning death of their their daughter and sister and the possibly supernatural events that they then experience after it uh, so they start seeing a strange shadowy figure that could be her in f- photographs and, and footage that's take, that are taken in the home and uh, by the lake where she drowned. So it's ostensibly doing something quite similar to the last broadcast in that it is a pseudo-documentary interspersed with fan footage, but it is so much more effective. It, it creates a, a powerful and unsettling mood early on and it sustains it all the way through. There's nothing too dramatic or elaborate about it. It's it's restraint is its best asset i think there is one sequence towards the end that conforms to the traditional sort of jump scare horror but by that time it's done the legwork it's earned it and as a result it's really quite chilling and i have to say i did it really did get under my skin so yeah lake mungo i think is is a really commendable found footage film and horror film in its own right 
Yeah, similarly, there's um, yeah, a film called End of Watch, which is uh, 2012, but directed by David Ayer, who's probably one of the most frustratingly inconsistent directors around because he's made absolute dirge on some pretty good films. This is one of the pretty good films. And it's um, it's presented from the off as a sort of found footage documentary following two cops um, on their LAB as they, as they go around their, their daily life. But then um, midway through, he seems to just drop that idea and it just goes into traditional film and it's no lesser for it. It, uh, it just works. It's, it's kind of like, to start with, it's a really good episode of Cops, but then it's a really good episode of Cops is just still an episode of Cops. So it's kind of like the director realised, oh, this is just a really good episode of Cops. Let's just turn it into a film. And um, yeah, it's really effective. You don't really notice it as you're watching it. Just, it just really naturally progresses into a into a standardly shot um, traditional film but is no less effective for it it's really good really quite hard-hitting deals with a lot of the the social issues going on in in those neighborhoods and the role of the police and and yet yeah, is is gripping is gripping and i think that's that's a that's a good example of of how the technique is is utilized well i think it's interesting the idea of a found a found footage film then segueing into just being a regular film because i think there is almost that idea that once you start doing found footage you have to continue doing found footage and the whole otherwise the whole thing falls apart but it feels kind of to me a little bit counterintuitive because as we've established even the best found footage films, you find yourself going like, well, I know that actor, that's New York and it's not destroyed. So I know this isn't real. So like from the off, you never expect, you never suspect that these things are genuine. So to keep on with being a found footage film seems to only serve the purpose of being called a found footage film because it's not doing anything to preserve the integrity of like what you're trying to achieve. So I kind of like, I haven't really thought about it until you brought it up now, Bill. But I think the idea of it kind of totally makes sense to me because you can set up a real good vibe and a real good idea. And I think so many found footage films give you a really good idea of what they're all about in the first third. But then to change that into kind of like, but here's our real horror film or here's our real police film feels like a really good use of that as a genre. But that's what I mean. I don't think it is a genre. I think it's a technique. I think I think in yeah in the early days of it you had the the publicity surrounding it. It's the same as that Orson Welles didn't he do a, a radio broadcast of War of the Worlds yeah yeah and and, um, and the Ghost Watch thing and it, it has this fear and it really works well for Cannibal Holocaust really worked well for Blair Witch and then by the time of Paranormal Activity you just realise it's just a technique it's like a different camera shot it's it's a wide and a and a and a steady cam it's 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 just a way of of presenting the film. And I don't think, yeah, I think a good film naturally sort of blurs the lines and you don't really realise. I think another example I'd give is a, um independent film called The Dirties, which uh, came out in 2013, Matthew Johnson. And it's presented as a, um, a student filmmakers making a short film. But then within that, you start to realise halfway through, there's another character who's just the cameraman. And the, they're talking about edits and there's occasional and it's not overplayed. It's really subtly done. It's it's oh, did you get that shot, man. And oh, yeah, we'll, we'll sort this in the, the edit and that can transition here. And I think we watched it on one of our creaky chair fests. And, um, and Sam, at one point, you were just like, oh, this is a classic indie indie montage um independent film montage that happens yeah. i was just sat back going yeah this that's good because the film's got you and you realize it's done on purpose and i think that's where it can work i think i think um creeps a really good example of it wrecks a really good example as well of, of just 
not overplaying it. Don't don't you know make out like oh this is real and we're gonna. It's like it's like reality TV. It's 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 people who watch Made in Chelsea and think that these these incidents just happen. And no, it's there's a lot of work goes into it. And um, you know, I'm a massive fan of Made in Chelsea, so I, I think it's really, really commendable. But um, <laughs> it's, it's clearly edited. It's clearly paced. It's it's clearly well crafted. And I'm not talking about Made in Chelsea now. But um, well drawn, complex characters. <laughs> Hey man, you've not seen the latest series, um, but it is really well crafted. And I think once once you get past the oh, we're going to try and present it as as real despite the Paramount logo, there is the the chance for it to to be used um, well and make the film better. I just don't think you have to stay so steadfast within this this idea that it's a genre and we have to present it all as as these unknown actors and whatnot and, and really try and make out it's real because we've, we're kind of all a bit too cynical and switched on for that now. And we have been since since Blair Witch, really. I think The the Dirties is a great example of like how this genre can work really effectively because it's one of the only found footage films that we've talked about today that I was, like you mentioned, Bill, genuinely kind of like, oh, oh shit, okay, I see what this film's... Like, it is the finest example, I think, or one of the best examples of found footage being used as a device and being used as a trick, as it were, rather than being used as a genre. Um, And it's a really unknown film, but having watched it, like, I'd highly recommend you checking it out. Okay, so let's... Let's wrap up then with a little bit of a discussion about why we think this, call it subgenre, call it technique, uh, developed and proliferated so much over the course of you know, the late 90s through to well, to the early part of this this decade. It seems like it's its moment as we've hit saturation point and it now is, uh, like, like you say, Bill, we've, we've kind of gotten wise to it now. So it feels like it's moment, its moment has passed. I think there are a few reasons why this kind of developed. I think... I think from a technical point of view, I think it's to do with the gradual ubiquity of cameras, both in terms of like surveillance and personal ownership of cameras, uh, as well as probably like the availability of digital video technology and editing software, which just became you know, a lot more widely available to people to be able to do these things on a real shoestring budget. I think you've like you've you've mentioned, Bill. Yeah, perhaps it is a reaction to the rise of you know in the early part of the early part of the uh, the century to reality tv it's it's reality tv weaving its influence through into 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 the predominantly horror genre it if it, it feels quite quite 90s in a way doesn't it in its sort of postmodern meta narrative breaking of the fourth wall but i don't know what do you what do you think caused this this uh, rise well i think everyone's like films in general have always been fascinated by the true story and the idea of something being based on a true story. I think that's always been something that films have done really well to kind of either tell a story or to like draw an audience in. They've billed things as being based on a true story. And I think with the rise of, you know, surveillance and personal video cameras and so forth, I think I feel like it was inevitable that this sort of found footage, is this real, is this not sort of thing would proliferate. I think there is always there has always been that interest in sort of that almost perverse interest in like seeing something taboo i think plays into it as well because i remember one of the reasons i was so excited about watching cannibal holocaust is because it had that sort of air of like oh gosh this is a video nasty this is like a dark and dangerous film sort of thing and i think there is that 
appeal like the human nature has that a bit like that thing where you kind of want to see stuff that you shouldn't be seeing and i think found footage plays into that idea really effectively of almost it promises to deliver that sort of thing of like you're seeing something you shouldn't be seeing and billing any film as sort of being like did these people survive is this real footage is playing into what you kind of perversely want as a cinema goer so it's just it's an avenue for perverts is basically my conclusion there <laughs> there has been something of a horror renaissance hasn't there in the last six or seven years but prior to that point it does feel like although bill you contend the point that this is the found footage is a kind of a genre or subgenre of its own but it does feel like the, the it does feel like the case of definable movement for to call it that uh within horror of, of our lifetimes anyway doesn't it you know comparable to to slasher or, or folk horror films of the of the 60s or vampire films great that's our golden age is it fantastic <laughs> um yeah <laughs> i do i think it, it tied in i think i think you both made valid points in that i, I personally love watching certain films where i'm like oh they did that stunt for real and he broke his leg and you can see that shot um, and and you love that that feeling of connection. It's why we love live events. It's why you want to go see a band live or the theatre still survives, even though you know you've got a film with all <laughs> all the bells and whistles you can have with the film. A play is different because you're actually there and it's visceral. And I think a found footage film tries to to make you feel that same way. It's it's kind of like why there's all these still persistent urban myths about snuff films existing whilst they they don't they just don't exist it's ridiculous why would someone film a murder you're gonna get caught so mm. yeah it, it does it just connects you and and it makes it you feel like you're having this going through this live event and i do i do totally agree i think the reason why the blair witch hit when it did was because of the camcorder camcorders were affordable we could get one um i do think we we started to attempt to make a found footage film at one point in our in our year <laughs> and it was just it was readily available whereas you know you go back to last broadcast and kind of a holocaust and it's presented more as this documentary there's an acceptance you'd need a full, full film crew because the cameras were massive and heavy back to orson wells when it was a radio it, it had to be the radio was the only means of, of progressing it and yeah, I think it then peaked with, with paranormal activity where you have um, nanny cams in every room or whatever to now when I don't think you can effectively present it as a publicity stunt because we've all got iPhones, we've all got iMovie, we can make fairly good films on them. You've got directors such as Steven Soderbergh using iPhones to shoot films. So it has, it has you know, bubbles burst, but it did exist. And yeah, okay, I'll contend it's possibly a subgenre, maybe. But that's only because it hit when it did in that period of time. Yeah, and I think you've you've struck on something interesting there in terms of whilst the kind of conventional the conventional style of these films has has moved on and passed. I think we have seen in the last couple of years, and we talked about one in our in our very first episode, our, our favourite films of twenty twenty. You know, the ubiquity of things being filmed and the fact everyone has uh, cameras on their phones. You know, it's now moved on to sort of like the internet and and zoom calls and things like that so host from last year was it's not really it's quite different isn't it in that it's not really found footage but it's like it's a, just a live stream so host and, and unfriended from a few years ago where we're doing that in a really interesting new way i think i feel like in the same way that like the blair witch project took on that idea of like personal camcorders but then also it combined that idea of like the internet when that was first like a burgeoning thing it really hit upon like as 
the I, I was like the kind of the zeitgeist of the era, and I think films like Host and Searching and Unfriended are doing the same sort of thing where they're tapping into kind of what's current at that moment to make these sort of, I suppose, pseudo found footage films. And I think that's quite interesting to sort of see where the subgenre might go from here. I feel like the window of creativity is narrowing, which hopefully might mean as well that the genre is kind of narrowing as well to make people really creative and make really effective films, but only one, one and done. Tick that box. Should we, should we wrap up then with just very briefly then what, apart from the films that we've mentioned, what's kind of like been the worst found footage film that you've, that you've ever seen? When I think of the worst found footage film I've ever seen, I think it probably is a film called Chernobyl Diaries uh, from, I think like 2014 or something like that, which was, uh, which I watched out of interest because I've been to Chernobyl, so I thought, well, you know, there's not very many films set in Chernobyl, so I want to watch it. And it was terrible, absolutely terrible. Yeah, thoroughly recommend you missing that one. <laughs> Sounds a bit insensitive as well. It, well, I think we've established, I think all found footage films are, are shit. Um, so I'm going to, I'm not going to just talk about the worst, I'm going to talk about the most disappointing in that I was really excited about this film. Apollo 18, um, which came out in 2011, um, directed by Gonzalo Lopez Gallego. And I was really, I thought, what a great premise for the film. Basically, it's the lost footage of the apparently cancelled Apollo 18 mission. It wasn't cancelled. It was a secret government um, mission. They went to the moon. And the tagline is incredible. The tagline is, there's a reason we never went back to the moon. And I was just oh, like, I'm, that is incredible. yes, please. And um, and so yeah, so it's built up from the the footage of inside the the spacecraft and the, and the, the the cameras the the astronauts take. So yeah, it's a good reason why they'd be documenting the mission. I believe they do. And again, I think I've said this a thousand times. The early scenes are quite effective. The moon's a scary looking place. It's very desolate. It's very mm. mysterious, um, and it's very well realized. But then again, descends into stupid jump scares and. Oh my god, the aliens, it turns out, are just angry rocks. <laughs> angry rocks. So, yeah, I mean, Thunder, Thunderbirds are go did rock monsters far better when they land on Mars and the rock monsters come up and shoot lasers at them. That was real scary at the time. But Apollo 18, yeah, no, it's just, just a bunch of pebbles could get pissed off and, and float around. So, not a fan. Do you know what, Bill? I'm actually, this memory has just come to me now. I think we were both talking about Apollo 18 and you watched it and then text me and were like, don't bother. So, <laughs> thanks very much from the past, Bill. Sam, worst, worst film you've seen? Uh, I mean, there's so much trash in the genre. I think of any... Well, let's 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 officially say we're calling this a subgenre, are we? Um, I think democracy rules, yes. Two yeah. versus one. Yeah. Subgenre. There we go. Of any subgenre that I think exists, found footage has more dross than good. I think you have to really, really sift through a lot of rubbish. As already mentioned, the last broadcast I think is trash. But I specifically feel like one of the most disappointing found footage experiences for me was Paranormal Activity, the first one, because I was. Not only was I myself super duper excited about it because I'd heard that it was the scariest thing and people were like, you know, fainting in the cinema. I also took a girl on a date to go and see the film because I told her that it was really scary. And she was, we were talking about horror films and she was like, oh yeah, I'd love to go and see a really good scary movie. And I was like, well, and obviously it's not scary. It doesn't do what it says it's going to do. It's not a terrifying experience. And we never went on a second date after that. So yeah. 
Let's blame Paranormal Activity for that dreadful date. Shall we say? <laughs> uh, yeah, let's, I mean, I don't think the film's very good, but I don't think that's totally fair to it. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm putting too much weight on Paranormal Activity here. All right. Uh, thank you very much indeed uh, for listening to this uh, special monthly episode. I uh, hope that you will go out and seek some of those lesser known found footage films if we have uh, won you over to them. Next week, we're going to be talking about a film called Oxygen, a new sci-fi thriller on Netflix. This is directed by Alexandre Aja. So, uh, yeah, please do join us for that. Please do continue to subscribe, uh, follow us on social media, uh, and please leave a review if you've... Ooh. Mike? Ooh. Has he... Uh, yeah, he's gone. I think. Uh, can you see his Zoom thing? I think it's gone. He's got some editing to do. Oh, man. That's not happened before on his, and... Oh, hello. Guys, there's something in here. There's something in here with me. There's something. Oh, 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 God. Oh, God. Oh, uh, okay. (laughs) Very funny. Very funny voice. Think freaking hell. Okay. All right. Um, If you can hear me, I'm going to ring you, guys. I'm going to just call you because I don't know how to end this. And Mitch, you'll have to 